Okay, let me come back down here. Now, this here, um, I've tried to figure out in my mind other ways to do this, and I couldn't come up with anything uh, better than what I've got going here. So we're just going to take up and go where we are here, and um, hopefully some of this will begin to make sense. I'm going to go look at some things right here in Romans chapter 9, 10, 11. Uh, I know you're going to say, well, haven't we been there already? And the answer is yes. Some of these things you just, you can't, you know, it's one thing to go 9, 10, 11. It's another thing to teach or look at the doctrine. You got to jump around a little bit and tie some things together. So hopefully that's what we'll do this morning. And, uh, I, I, we know when we got off uh, from Colossians, uh, I really didn't want this to go too far, but it is. And so we've got at least at least one more Sunday, maybe two, I don't know. Uh, we'll see how this goes here. I mean, I got 16, 16 items here that I want to get this morning, so we'll see if we can fly through them here and, and get it done. You know, and you might wonder about the chart. I hope you can see it. Um, it's... The light shining on this is, you know, is not good. So I know that some of you can't probably see it where you are. And the folks on the internet apologize. But Nancy, I didn't know she could do all this back there. She scanned my notes in there and sent it out to everybody. And I thought, well, I wrote these in pencil. It's not going to show up very good. Sure enough, it did. It was really nice. So hopefully that'll be a help to to you to follow along. And had I thought ahead of time, uh, I didn't think of it till just right now. If we're going to scan and send it to them, we should have just made a copy for everybody here, shouldn't we? I didn't think of that. But that's par for the course. <laughs> okay. So in doing this, a part of our, um, our goal here started out in Colossians chapter 1 with Paul telling the church there that they at one time, of course, and they were, they were Gentiles. This is Gentiles up here. He says at one time you were alienated from Christ. And he says, but now you've been reconciled. Then we went over to uh, the book of Ephesians, which is... Uh, a twin epistle, they call them, Colossians and, and Ephesians. And there he said, you've been alienated from the commonwealth of Israel. And so we were asking the question, well, what does that mean? In other words, did it mean that Gentiles, when they were reconciled, did they become members of the nation of Israel? And of course, we know that's not the case. So we're investigating, well, what else what else is this, does this mean? And well, it goes a lot deeper than, uh, than really I was planning to go. All right, now this chart, when you look at it, you're looking at the flow of history. So you're just moving, moving uh, left to right. And so we want to look at the various aspects of, you know, they're really highlights, but they're foundational for what it's all about where, you know, God is taking us as those who believe in, in Christ. 
So the beginning point we want to look at here, well, it would be um, the fact that God gave a promise. Now that AIJ, that's Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and I should have put the ladies in there too because they're just as important. Uh, Sarah and Rebecca and uh, was it Leah and Rachel, all of them belong in the same thing. But the point is, is that God, God gave Abraham a promise. And <clears throat> later on in Romans here, we'll find out that he calls it uh, God's choice. He chose Abraham for this purpose, to do this. And then also he, call, he says it's your calling. It's what he has called Abraham to do and to be. And we found out then that there is a... Uh, now, from this line below, of course, if you can read that, this is national Israel all the way down to this line here. Within the nation of Israel, there was a believing remnant. Not every person in, in the nation of Israel believed in Abraham. They, didn't, they knew he'd made a promise, and, but they, they didn't follow by faith what Abraham did, which he, fought, he did. He walked by faith, and he believed God's promise. Not every Israelite believed that, and they didn't practice it. And, of course, that's very, very evident for those of you who know uh, Israel's history. Eventually, they went off into idolatry. They worshiped the Baals, and eventually God punished them, sent them off into exile, the northern kingdom. Um, what year, Mark? Was it 722, I think, the northern kingdom? I think that, or 721, somewhere around in there. And then a hundred years later is the southern kingdom. So, um, you know, not everybody, not everybody in Israel believed those promises. But there was a remnant that did. And there has always been a believing remnant. We've, I've mentioned that several times. There has always been a believing remnant. And so when you come to the book of Romans, uh, beginning with chapter 2 and verses 28 and 29, Paul there makes a distinction between what is an Israelite in the nation of Israel and then one who is a true Israelite. And that's one, he says, who has been circumcised in heart. All of these that were members of the nation of Israel were circumcised in flesh. But that isn't what a true Israelite is, Paul said. It's one who's been circumcised in heart. That's what makes the difference. What is being circumcised in heart? It's accepting and believing the promises that God gave to Abraham. Just like he believed. So, what we want to look at then is the fact that, well, here in, in Romans then, if you want to turn to chapter 9... <clears throat> and Romans chapter 9. And we're just going to look at the highlights here, uh, the, the key elements of Paul's argument here. So we know where he's going and why it's important. He tells us in verse 
verse um, 6, he says, It is not as though the word of God has failed, for not all who are descended from Israel belong to Israel. Well, that's the same thing he said back in chapter 2, because it's the ones that are circumcised in heart that belong to Israel. Not everybody belongs to, to the Israel. Only the ones who believe. And so that's important to recognize that in the history of the nation of Israel, there was a portion of them that were righteous Jews. They believed in God, Yahweh. They believed in his promise to Abraham. The rest, well, some what we would call nominally believed. In other words, they would acknowledge, they knew the scriptures, they knew that God had made a promise to Abraham, but they didn't follow it. They didn't, they didn't exercise their faith the way the believing remnant did. Consequently, they caved in and they gave in to idolatry. It's really not a lot of difference between what happens to Christians today. They believe on the Lord Jesus. They become a Christian. They're baptized. They join the church. And then later on, they begin to drift away. And frequently then, the world gets a hold of them. And all of a sudden, you don't see them in church anymore. They're gone. Then you have another group, though, in the church, just like in Israel, that are circumcised in heart, that remain faithful. They're devoted to God. And they understand also the promise given to Abraham and what will ultimately be fulfilled in the church, which is the body of Christ. So when you come to... um, well, I, I'm, I'm going to get ahead of myself if I don't follow this. So uh, if you look at verses, well, we can't look at all of them. Verse 14 of Romans 9. Well, actually, we better back up and look at verse 11. Start at verse 11. It says there, though they were not yet born and had done nothing, uh, either good or bad. And that's, that's the twins. You remember that um, Rebecca had. And it says that they hadn't done anything bad, but in order that God's purpose of election, or some translate it, which I think is a better translation, that the purpose of God according to choice. In other words, God simply chose. I mean, if you look at when he chose Abraham, I mean, the whole world had been cast off at the Tower of Babel incident. And now, out of that motley crew that was left on the earth, God chose a man, Abraham, that ultimately would fulfill his purpose and bring us all the way to the end of earth's history and fulfill all that God has designed for us. And that all began in the Garden of Eden. And God is going to restore the earth one day back to those conditions. And I don't know that it's necessarily going to be a garden, you know, with fruits and vegetables and all kinds of trees and other things in it. What I'm talking about is he's going to restore the conditions where God and man are once again 
in fellowship with each other and can function together in his presence. And that, if in order for that to happen, we have to be able to translate over to or be fitted, as he says in Colossians, for the supernatural world. We can't do it right now. We're hindered by this body of flesh right here. So we cannot pass over to the supernatural world. But the promise of Christ in his resurrection is a promise for us to be resurrected and obtain those bodies that will allow us to live in that world and fellowship with God and to know him on the intimate basis that he desired for us way back there in the Garden of Eden with Adam and Eve. So it's coming. And that's what this story is all about. But there's a lot of things that happened in between. And there's an awful lot of unbelief going on. And we find that we're... So, and here we're just dealing with the nation of Israel. Now, in verses 27 to 29 of chapter 9... Verses 27 to 29, he says, Isaiah cries out concerning Israel, though the number of the sons of Israel be as the sand of the sea, only a remnant of them will be saved. There's a great multitude, he says, of Israelites in the nation of Israel. Then they are like the sand of the sea. But he says only a, only a small number is going to actually be saved. Just a remnant. And then he goes on to say, For the Lord will carry out his sentence upon the earth fully and without delay. And, as Isaiah predicted, if the Lord of hosts had not left us offspring, who would the offspring be? This, This believing remnant. If Yahweh had not left to Israel a believing remnant, where would they be? Gone, kaput, nothing. He says we would have been like Sodom and become like Gomorrah. Well, what happened to them? Well, they were kaput. They were wiped out off the face of the earth. And there would have been no more Israel. But God, by choice, his choice, provided offspring of the seed of Abraham. And there has been... All through church history, a very, very slim line of uh, Abraham's seed all the way up to right there, to Jesus Christ. And I'll tell you, there were some incidences in Israel's history where it looked pretty precarious from man's point of view as to whether that seed line was going to be preserved or not. But God did it. It was his choice. Now, in verse 30 of chapter 9, he says, What shall we say then that Gentiles who did not pursue righteousness have attained it? And how did they attain it? He says, well, that is a righteousness that is by faith. That just means believing it. And so then he goes on to say, but that Israel who pursued a law that would lead to righteousness, did not succeed 
in reaching or that law. And why was that, he says? Because they did not pursue it by faith. So you had Gentiles who weren't even looking to pursue it, he says, but when the gospel was given to them, or even in, in Israel's day, prior to the cross, when they knew about the promises God gave to Abraham, they were allowed to become a part of, the, of, of Israel, that believing remnant. They were taken in, as it were. They weren't a part of the nation of Israel, but they were accepted into the believing remnant. So you had some Gentiles who did believe. You remember, you remember um, Naaman and the story there that happened to him when he wanted to be healed and he found out about this young Jewish girl and they said uh, uh, to go see this prophet, Elijah. And they said, he said, go, he wouldn't even come out and see the guy face to face. He said, just go dip yourself in the Jordan River seven, seven times. And what he say? I got rivers back here, back in my home cleaner than that one. Why do I have to go over here? Well, they persuaded him and he did and he was healed. Through that, he recognized and knew that there was a God in Israel that was the true God. That was Yahweh. Now, the most amazing thing to me that happened was he asked him, do you mind if I take a couple uh, mule loads of dirt back with me? You remember that? What was he thinking? What does he want a couple of mule loads of dirt? Well, it was Israel's dirt. It was from the land of promise. When he understood that Yahweh was the true God, and the Bible doesn't tell us, so we surmise here, he wanted to take that dirt back with him so that when he worshipped, he could worship on the promised land, holy ground. It may be, some think, that you remember he also said that when my master goes in to worship his God and I have to go into the temple with him, you know, would you overlook that, God? Would you, would you forgive me? Some think he may have taken that dirt in with him so that he could stand on holy ground. Now, that was a man that believed. He knew that there was a God in Israel, and he trusted in God. And there were others. What about Rahab? Now, you know, there, there were, the Bible gives us enough hint to tell us that there were Many, not a great multitude, but many Gentiles who believed in Israel's God, Yahweh. And they understood what God was uh, doing through the nation of Israel. And they wanted to be a part of it. Okay, so in verse 30, we saw there um, that they didn't pursue it by faith, but the Gentiles did. <clears throat> if we come to chapter 10... And verse 1, brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Who? Well, it wasn't these. It wasn't believing Israel because they were already saved. He, you know, Paul, Paul was concerned about the nation of Israel, his fellow brothers, 
um, that, that they might come to know Christ, that they might be saved. He says, I bear witness uh, that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, for being ignorant of the righteousness of God and seeking to establish their own. He's just telling us the same thing again. They sought to establish their own righteousness. They did not submit to God's righteousness. For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. For who? To everyone who believes, not just the Jewish people, but the Gentiles also, to all who believe. Now, um, i got to jump ahead here. Um, in, in, ver- cha- in chapter 10, verses 5 through 21, is kind of an extended passage there, but uh, Paul elaborates on this whole question that salvation is for all and it's by faith. Just like Paul told the church at Ephesus, for by grace are you saved through faith. Nothing attached to that. And I know that there are many Christians in today's world that have a problem with that. You know, they accept Christ. They believe. And then for some reason, they get this idea that they've got to do something to keep saved. Or they've got to perform some kind of works to gain God's favor. We call that works righteousness. They wanted to do, it's, it's just, it's this feeling that they have. And I'm, well, I'll tell you, I want to say, I thank God I've never experienced that. Never have had any inclination to go down that path. And I'm glad. Uh, it's just not one of those areas that I've had a, an issue with. But I know some do. Some do. And so they want to, you know, they want to f- figure out a way similar to what Israel did in getting their own righteousness. And really, in the end, it's the same thing. They're seeking a way to find their own righteousness. And Paul, Paul clearly says that's not the case. As a matter of fact, when he, if you look at, down at verse 13, he says, For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord, and that's a quote, Old Testament quotation, that's Yahweh, which, by the way, is Jesus. Everyone who calls on the name of Jesus will be saved. Well, that calling is more than just speaking words with your lips. It's more than just praying a prayer and say, Lord, I believe that you're the Savior and you died for me and I want to be a Christian and would you please save me and da-da-da-da, you know, whatever. It's a calling to follow Christ. Some do, some don't, just like an Israelite. Some, they believed in, you know, they knew all about the promises made to Abraham. You know, they, they weren't nuts. They went, you know, they went to synagogues, not way back in history, you know, but especially after the exile, you know, they, they were taught the scriptures. The rabbis taught them, but they didn't always follow just like people don't follow today. Down in verse 17, look at there. He says, so faith comes from hearing 
and hearing through the word of Christ. Wow. That just makes me think of one word. <laughs> Missions. <laughs> Get the gospel out. How are they going to hear if somebody isn't there to tell them? It's a voice going out. That's telling your, our neighbors. That's the guy across the street or the guy where you do business or maybe even where you work. It's, it's speaking the gospel. Now, in chapter 11, in verses 1 through 10, um, you have to ask a, a question. When, when Paul asks it, he says in verse 11, I ask then, in view of these things that he's just said, has God rejected his people? And he says, no way. No way. And, and, and he says, I'm a good example right there. God hasn't cast them off. In other words, he hasn't just eliminated the whole nation and, and thrown them away. He says, hey, I'm a Benjamite. I'm, I'm from Israel. He says, uh, I'm a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. He hasn't cast me off. Here I am preaching the gospel to you. Here I am speaking to you the word of faith concerning God's promises to Abraham. God hasn't rejected his people. Um, if you look down at, uh, though, at, um, well, you remember the story. He goes on to say, uh, regarding the situation with um, uh, Elijah. You know, when Elijah thought he was the last one on earth, nobody else in the whole nation of Israel believed in God but him. And God reminded him, he said, no, I've got 7,000 that have not bowed the knee to Baal. Now that is a small number when you look at the whole nation of Israel. But when you look at the rest of the nation of Israel, what did that mean? That there was a whole lot of them that did bow the knee to Baal. They were caught up in idolatry. But God had reserved a remnant for himself. Now, he goes on to say then in verse 5, he says, So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. Now, just... Keep your eye on that word chosen. It's God's choice. They are chosen by grace. And he says, if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Verse 7, he says, well, what then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The chosen ones, the elect. Now, the word elect there is the same word as chosen up there in verse 5. It's not a different word. So I like the translations that say then the chosen ones obtained it, but the rest were hardened. Why were they hardened? Because they refused to believe. If you refuse to believe, then there comes a process where God hardens. And that's not a, that's not a good situation to be in. That's why it demands faith. That's why uh, the writer of the book of Hebrews put such a strong stress in chapter 11 on those believers in chapter 11. 
what we call the hall of faith or the, you know, you know, the conclusion he came to concerning those, he says, these all died in faith. Well, if you begin with faith, as Paul's talking about here, then it's very, very important that you end in faith. Don't be as those who drift off. Don't be as the one from Jerry's passage that he read this morning in Hebrews chapter 10 about those who draw back from Christ. They shrink back and they don't follow him anymore. And of course, there's a, there's a horrible loss that will be experienced by that kind of a Christian. On the day of judgment, Paul uses the word perish, but it, ha- it means the whole word perish there just means to suffer loss and in a severe way. Not just some minor, teensy little thing. It's, it's going to hurt. That's why the writer of Hebrews spent so much time explaining the issue of walking or living by faith. That's what Paul's doing here. He says the chosen ones obtain it, but the rest were hardened because they didn't believe. It was unbelief. And he quotes here from, I forget what the passage was, but he says God gave them, it's an Old Testament passage, God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and ears that would not hear down to this very day. Now, of course, that down to this very day was the day when uh, this was written in the Old Testament, but Paul's including it now to his day, right up to the time Paul was preaching the gospel. To this very day, they were still hardened if they didn't believe. And, you know, they're still in that condition today. Look at, I got my verse here, Romans 11, 22 and 23. Let's take a look at that. Romans 11, verses 22 and 23. He says, note then the kindness and the severity of God. Now, he's been, he's been talking about this whole issue about Gentiles being accepted because of their belief, their faith, which God counted for righteousness. And he says, note then the kindness and severity. Boy, do you see those two things in opposition to each other? Kindness on the one hand, severity on the other. Kindness towards those who are of faith, severity towards those who are unbelieving. And then he goes on to say, severity to, toward those who have fallen, but God's kindness to you provided you continue in his kindness. Otherwise, you too will be cut off. Well, what he's talking about there is in the previous verses from beginning at verse 11, he's talking about the, an illustration of a tree. And we're going to deal with that probably next Sunday uh, because we won't have time today. Uh, what that means. Uh, what I want us to, well, let's see here. I've got a whole, whole I'm, I'm jumping ahead of myself again. Um, well, let's look at verses 11 and 12. Chapter 11, verses 11 and 12. You might as well take a closer look to see what in the world happened with the nation of Israel. He says, so I ask, 
So I ask, he says, did they stumble? Who's they? Well, it's the ones who were hardened, those who were in unbelief. He said, did they stumble in order that they might fall? And the word fall there is an aorist tense. It means, did they stumble so that they would fall permanently? And Paul says, no. No, it's not permanent. He says, rather, through their trespass, salvation has come to the Gentiles, so as to make Israel jealous. God brought the Gentiles in through faith in order that those whose hearts were hardened, he was hoping they might, through jealousy, come to faith in Christ also. Of course, we know the history. Well, we look at the rest of these verses here. Now, if their trespass means riches for the world, that is, Israel's trespass, her, her little stumble, her slip, or tripping over her foot, in other words. It, it means riches for the world, and that's, that's the Gentile world. Then he says, and if their failure. Now that's the ESV's translation, and I believe the King James says diminishing, and that's really the word you want to look at, the best word to translate there. It, it's a kind of a difficult one. Uh, I looked and looked and looked and looked and looked trying to find a translation that used something that made good sense. And well, King James, to me, made the best sense. It's diminishing. In other words, just like a lot of commentators said, it meant a reduction in numbers. Though their failure, their diminishing, he says, their reduction in numbers of believers means riches for the Gentiles. Do you see what he's, where we're headed here? The small number of Jews who believe and are a part of that faithful remnant, it came about so that you and I could be brought in by faith. And so he says, if that's the case, how much more will their fullness mean? Or the ESV says, full inclusion. How much more? In other words, if God is treating Israel this way, and he's reducing the numbers for a time, for a while, so that Gentiles might come in, then what's that going to mean out there in the future concerning their fullness? In other words when a larger number, sometime in the future, believe. And there, Israel is, how do we want to say it, brought back, restored? It's just like, just like they said in Acts 1, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? Well, if that was going to happen, there had to be believers. God wasn't going to have a, a, a kingdom with nothing but unbelieving Jews or unbelieving Israelites. That wasn't going to be. So, what does he do then? Um, I want to save the tree for next week, so I'm going to, I'm going to skip over that. Um, I want us to just jump ahead, to, and we'll, we'll close with this. Verse 28. 
He says, as regards the gospel, they are enemies for your sake. Who's the they here? Unbelieving Israel. They are your uh, enemies for your, the Gentiles' sake, so that they might believe by faith and be accepted by God. And so he goes on to tell them then, for the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. Now I'm just saying, what God started back there with Abraham, the gifts and the calling of God are irrevocable. It all began by faith with Abraham. God hasn't changed a thing. It's all, it's all by faith. Whether it's Israel or whether it's you and me, it's all by faith. Well, then he goes on to say, he says, uh, at one time, you Gentiles, you were disobedient to God, but now you've received mercy because of their disobedience, the Israelites' disobedience, unbelieving Israel. And you became a recipient of that. And why? He says, in order that the mercy shown to you, they also may now receive mercy. Now, all of that, what does it all come to? Well, I'm just going to jump over some things here and make a point that with the, with the death of Christ and his resurrection, with the coming of the Holy Spirit at Pentecost, a major event took place when, you know, when Jesus came. We all understand that. There were 120 Israelites there in that little group of people. And the Holy Spirit came down upon them. They were all of Israel. And we know that in the early days of the church, it was all Israelites. As a matter of fact, something like 3,000 of them is mentioned. And, and of course, there were others beyond that by the thousands. And even those who came from other countries, those who had been scattered in the diaspora, they came to Israel to celebrate Pentecost. They heard the gospel, and when they went back to their countries, they carried this good news. About what? About the resurrection. How Jesus had overcome death, and how he had defeated all his foes. Uh, the foes were the gods of this world, the gods over those pagan nations. He was victorious. So when they carried that message back to them, they were shouting, hallelujah. I don't have to be living in fear of those gods who are nothing but darkness, who, who instill fear and trembling in those pagan nations, the Gentile nations. And so now, by believing the gospel, they understood. They saw the truth of that that they didn't have to live in fear anymore, that those pagan gods had no more control over them anymore. There was freedom in Christ, freedom in the gospel. And so what, what do we, then what do we look at? Well, a part of that then is in the early days of the church, which the Bible describes as the body of Christ, just remember 1 Corinthians 12, 13. So let's just turn over there real quick. 1 Corinthians 12, 13, an important passage in view of all that we've talked about here this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. 
you need to get out of chapter 11 and go to chapter 12. Okay, 1 Corinthians 12, 13. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body. Well, that's, that's me. That's you. I have many members in my body. But I've got one body, even though I have many members. Paul says, that's just how it is with Jesus and the church. There's only one body, and that's Jesus. And if you are a member of him, you're a member of the church, you're a member of Christ. And he goes on to tell us then, he says, um, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. Now watch it. It's Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free, all were made to drink of one spirit. So we're looking at this whole concept that in the body of Christ, when it came to anybody from the nation of Israel who believed in Jesus, they became members of the body of Christ. And I didn't put it up here, but later on in the book of Acts, you, you know you, you know how they, in the early uh, apostles, they went out and it says they went to the synagogues, plural. They went out preaching the gospel to the Jew first. Later on, after Peter's vision, then we have the apostle Paul as the apostle to the Gentiles going out and preaching to the Gentiles. Now they are coming into the church, the body of Christ, and being full-fledged members, just like any Jew was. There was neither Jew nor Greek. No slaves and free. Could you imagine, you know, in in those early days of the church, having a group like this, meeting in, um, maybe meeting in the synagogue on Sunday, because it was in use on Saturday by the Jews, or meeting in somebody's home. And interspersed throughout that group was wealthy people and poor. There were slaves. There were Jews. There were Gentiles. There were people that, of wealth that, um, you, know, they, they had a, you know, they actually had a household of people and they were called a master. They were lords over their house. And right there in that same group, that lord would be sitting here, the master of the house, overhears his slave that he owns, and he said, in Christ, in the body, doesn't make any difference. You're all equal. There's no superiority. There's no levels of importance or authority or anything else. They're all one in Christ. Now, we're going somewhere with that, but we have to stop here, and we'll take it up again. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you raised up men like Paul, men trained in synagogues and under rabbis who were knowledgeable and well-educated and able to communicate just like he did here to the church at Rome and leave us with a clear message of God's plan for saving men. All 
coming by faith and nothing else, faith alone. How we thank you for the freedom that comes in Christ and the joy, the privilege that we have to bow down on our knees and worship the true and living God and his son, Jesus Christ. Thank you, O God, for the mercies that you have shown us. Even as Paul said, we are vessels of mercy, even us. And what blessings we have received because of the disobedience of Jewish people. Lord, guard our hearts. Let us not become boastful or arrogant or demeaning concerning the Jewish people because we now have been grafted in, but that we would be those who would understand and acknowledge that you haven't cast your people off, that there's coming a day, there's coming a day when they will experience their fullness. So bless us, I pray, Father, that we as a community of believers here would stand faithful. Stand faithful to you and stand faithful to your people, Israel. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.